welcome to Drawn Out, a podcast about Disney animated films. I am your host, Brooke. I'm your other host, Chase. What are we talking about today to start off this episode? Today we are watching um, what's going to be our last short of the 30s, um, The Old Mill. So yeah, we just finished The Old Mill, um, 1937. Yep. Pretty good, in my opinion. Yeah. Very different. It is. Um, what, okay, so we've watched, like, several shorts now. How do you feel about this one, especially, like, ranked with everything else? It's probably, it's definitely the least cartoony. I think that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, it's a lot more realism in this short. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's one of my first notes is the real, the realism of the animal characters. There's no, um, sung or spoken dialogue. Mm -mm. Um, it's just music, and Mm -hmm. I think... Symphony is There's a good... some vocals in the music, yeah. but it's still all instrumental yeah. with vocals. Um, no lyrics, I guess mm-hmm. is what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a good... Like, none of the animals are exaggerated in any way. Like, for a minute, I mm-hmm. thought the frogs were, and then I was like, no, frogs' eyes just look like that. Like, the birds all had the small yeah. beady eyes. Mm-hmm. You could argue the owl was cartoony in a little bit, but for mm-hmm. the most part... Yeah. Like, like mostly I just, the owl reminded me a lot of Archimedes from Sword in the Stone. Because he reminded me of the owl from Sleeping Beauty. Ah, mm-hmm. interesting. Sleeping Beauty is most certainly stylized. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, as a whole, it was a very, very realistic. And, like, my first note is on the color. Um, just because, like, the way they use color, it shimmers, it moves. They're really yeah. enjoying their use of color in yeah. this Yeah, well, the very first shot is, like, a light shining off a spider web and you know the way that it does and it's gorgeous it like there is so much like things go very advanced things going on technically mm-hmm. and i i'm just blown away that this happened that this was made before you know um most of the shorts that we watched and even before all of the features that we've watched yeah yeah this is very very early in terms of disney's like disney the studio yeah um and I can see why this is such a classic. Like, yeah, it. I think this was probably the most suspenseful of all of the films we watched. Yeah, as for for like nothing happening, right? It's a mill. There's animals who live there, and we kind of get introduced to the animals that live in mm-hmm. this mill and around this mill. And then a storm comes, and they're scared in the storm. Mm. And that fear is probably the most fear I felt in all of the shorts we've yeah. watched. Yeah. Yeah, because you you don't know for sure that they're going to be okay because it's a cartoon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like, specifically the um, bluebird on yeah. her eggs and then, like, the gear of the mill, the grinder, is, like, mm-hmm. coming down on top of her and you're worried that she's going to die with her eggs. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't. Um, <laughs> it was, like, this rush of relief, like, oh, okay. Yeah. But, yeah. like, there just happens, that peg just happens to be gone, and she goes under, you know, there's a hole where that peg was every time she goes around. Yeah. Um, and did you notice at the end that her eggs have hatched, and she's feeding, and, and she and her, you know, and her boy are feeding mm-hmm. the babies, and the, um, that empty gap is still right above them. Mmm. So, like, I mean, that makes sense. Their nest hasn't moved. Yeah. But it's, like, right there. It's, like, mm-hmm. that, that's still hanging over them. And I think it was kind of funny that, like, you know, animals did what animals do. Like, the, like it was pretty busted. The mill was pretty busted up. Yeah. At the beginning, it was even more busted up at the end. But the animals basically went back to normal after yeah. that. And, like, part of that, especially with, like, the pet, you know, the empty peg hole hanging over the kids. And, like, this mill is America. 
<laughs> well, I mean, it is interesting. It's a structure that's built by humans mm -hmm. and populated by animals. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like thinking about that. I'm like, do we really want to get like that deep? Is it that deep? Mm -hmm. And actually, I really feel like the old mill short is that deep. Like the way that story is framed in it is yeah. phenomenal. And it's amazing. Like this is, there's a reason this particular short has withstood the test of time. So lovely. Um, so it's really, it's a human invention and structure that's been abandoned by humans and is now inhabited by animals. And they don't seem to mind that it's in disrepair, mm -hmm. uh, which is interesting. But I think you make a good point, like they are living in the shadow of that, like, I don't know if I want to say trauma, I don't think trauma is the right word, but that tragedy is not the right word either. Mm -hmm. But. You know, like, like the event yeah. of the storm is still present in their day-to-day -day life. Um, and we see that again, like you mentioned, when we open, we're on the spider web and it's glinting. Mm -hmm. We pan out and it's the same spider web, but it's torn by the yeah. storm. It's not the beautiful web it was before. Um, so there are still remnants left behind. It's not, like, it is back to normal, but yeah. it's not gone from memory. Yeah. It's a beautiful short. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And did you notice that the, um, the opening title of it, it said the old mill, but the only words in quotes were old mill. So it was the oh, old mill. Oh, interesting. Which made me think like, oh man, just, that's such an old person way to, <laughs> to use quote marks. <laughs> Maybe that's a 1930s way of using quote marks. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, I thought this was a lovely short. I love to, um, the frogs singing yeah. and the way that music, so we've seen like different versions of music where music is a substitute for Foley, right? Like we've seen a tea mm -hmm. kettle in place of like wind blowing. Um, and we've seen places where the music is created by the mm -hmm. action of the characters, like Mickey playing the animals yeah. on the steamboat. Mm -hmm. But I felt like this was kind of the first time we saw the animal noises enhanced yeah. by the music. And that was really fun and beautiful. Yeah, that was um, pretty great. Yeah, I really enjoyed the short a lot. Me too. And now what, what's our feature going to be today? Um, before we get to our feature... Oh yeah, that's right. Because we're about to dive into 1950, which is a huge shift in Disney film. So I kind of want to just talk about like, I don't know, a mini recap of everything mm -hmm. we've done so far. Um, not like re-summarizing every film we've watched, oh but God. so we have gone through two eras of Disney animation. Yeah. Um, we've been through the Golden Age and the World War II era, which are n names that we've put on to these eras but that doesn't... recently. Yeah, but Golden Age like really is only four films and it was... A rough time for the studio. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it was. We call it, so why do we, why do we call it the golden age? Yeah, see, I, what, what, what we're going to is the silver age is kind of what I would think of as the golden age. I think the real reason is like Disney's hand in the films. That's true. So the first four films are Disney's children in a lot of ways. Like yeah. he's the direct director. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. These ones, he's more of a producer and a facilitator. Yeah. So I guess it would be like, um, how important is Walt Disney and yeah. when you're grouping eras of Disney animated it films? It seems like it's pretty important to yeah. the people who have decided these things. Yeah. But at the same time, like when. I mean, I guess when we once we've seen more of the films, but my memory of these films is that, like, I don't know, just qualitatively or, you know, also subjectively, it's like, I like the films after that. 
a little better. Yeah, the films that we, like, we grew up on what we consider the Disney classics mm -hmm. would be The Silver Age and The Golden Age, Yeah, I think. And then we grew up in the time of the Disney Renaissance, yes. which is all those lovely 90s movies. Oh, man. Um, yeah. And the return of the Disney princess as yes. a powerful figure in culture, mm -hmm. which have, we can talk about that later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But for now, yeah. just thinking, I think, to my memory, and this may just be a personal, like, yeah. your experience is not universal moment yeah um but like these this collectively feels like the classic yeah. era and like world war ii stuff we certainly like we didn't watch as kids yeah um a little bit it's just kind of forgotten yeah i think like we're watching these with some nostalgia and we kind of have tried to piece out like mm -hmm. i feel nostalgic about this film and that's why i love it yeah and this is a really good film and i love it without nostalgia yeah like pinocchio I don't enjoy because I have no nostalgia towards yeah. it. But Bambi, I love even without nostalgia. Yeah. And the wartime era, mm -hmm. zero nostalgia. And so I yeah. have mixed feelings about it. Yeah. Or like I had a lot of nostalgia for fun and fancy mm -hmm. free, but watching it now, I'm like, I don't enjoy this <laughs> as much as I remember enjoying it. Yeah. Like even with Mickey and the Beanstalk, I prefer the Ludwig von Drake packaging narrator packaging over the um the Edgar Bergen yeah. narration. So I guess like I guess we could probably say we prefer the Golden Age to the World War Two era. Um yeah. I think probably and probably most people would say the same. Yeah. Well um, because the World War Two era is very World War Two. I think that's a really good like that's why it's called the World War Two era, mm -hmm. right? Like it requires the context of World yeah, War Two. So you need so if you don't if you're not a history buff, if you're not a fan of world, you know, World War II history specifically, there's mm -hmm. a lot that you're, you know, not going to enjoy. And even if you are, I, I wouldn't say I'm a full-on war dad, but I do <laughs> enjoy World War II stuff. And I hated Victory Through Power. I know, I know, I know, I know. But that's only one film that's yeah. not even always considered Disney canon. So if yeah. you're looking at things like Melody Time or Fun and Fancy Free, yeah. they're I definitely different because they're not full well, and, I, and I guess it's not necessarily just the product of, oh, the, the era of World War II. It just so happens that World War II is also the time when the studio had no money. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Unless they were making films for the government. Right. So it's not so much, I get, like, the World War II require context films, like Saludos Amigos, mm -hmm. Victory Through Air Power, and Three Caballeros mm -hmm. exist because of World War II itself. Yeah. Whereas Melody Time, Fun and Fancy Free, Adventures of Sir Ichabod, and Make My Music kind of only exist just because they're low-budget films. <laughs> yeah, like, they like they would have been more if the budget had been available, and it, yeah. it just wasn't. Imagine if Sir Ichabod or The Adventures of Mr. Toad had been full features. Oh, I don't I, I don't know if Ichabod could be. I don't think Ichabod could, but I think a full-length Wind in the Willows would have been a lot of fun. I think they... Yeah, because they would yeah. come up some some real... That, I like... I don't know. This is just me. I'm like, I will, there have been some really good songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I absolutely agree. And I could definitely see a full-length Mickey and the Beanstalk. Yeah, and well, that's what they wanted. Right. Well, but, like, well, I couldn't see making, like, it'd be tough to make a full-length Sleepy Hollow one. Yeah. But, if, but, if, but because of the length, if it had been any longer, they probably wouldn't have been able to get Bing Crosby. True. True. And the, the, it would have been a lot worse for it, I, th <laughs> I, th I think. Um, my World War II and old Hollywood biases <laughs> come out. Yeah, so I think 
it's like we have certainly imposed these differences on past, but there's obviously a stark transition yeah. from Bambi to Make My Music, and mm-hmm. then we're moving from Melody or from Sir Ichabod technically yeah. into Cinderella. Yeah, and they really are stark differences, and I'm yeah. curious if those differences will be as stark as we get into different eras. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm excited for it. I'm excited too. Um, so on that note, let's dive into Cinderella. Let's go watch Cinderella! <laughs> Before we watch, what do you remember about Cinderella? When was the last time you watched it? Um, I'm trying to remember the last time I watched it. It was maybe, maybe in college, I think? Because I had it on DVD, but re- re- um, recently when I've been trying to rewatch it, the DVD has been broken because I think I bought it secondhand. Ooh. And so I have not been able to watch it recently, but I... I feel like I remember most of it. Okay. Um, and I, I've talked before, maybe for the Instagram one of these days, <laughs> I'll get that particular family video digitized so we can all see four-year-old me saying, Cinderella. I don't know. If you guys don't want to see that, too bad. <laughs> I'm going to make it happen. No, I want to see it. I want to see Baby Brick. We put Baby Me That's on true. the Instagram. we got to put Baby You on mm-hmm. the Instagram. Well, there's Baby Me with, with Snow White That's at Disneyland right. somewhere. Right. We didn't put it on the drawn out uh, Instagram though. Okay. Um, so I remember not being fond of Cinderella as a kid, mm-hmm. mostly because my little sister would watch it over and over and over and over. Every day I came home from school, my little sister was home watching Cinderella. And you uh, you wanted her to come and guest on this I one. I did. We were having dinner together tonight, and I was like, hey, I gotta go record a podcast. Oh, you know what? We're recording Cinderella. Why don't you come record? And she was like, oh. And I was like, no, I want you to come. And she said, no. She doesn't even work in the morning. Oh I was gosh. so mad at her. Well, and I even told her I had a Cinderella mug ready for oh, her. Oh, man. Unbelievable. Well, Cinderella was one of the ones that I watched over and over and over again. It wasn't quite as heavy in the rotation as Dumbo or Great Mouse Detective, but it was up there. Mm. Which, you know, led to the Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I definitely have, like, watched it more yeah. recently. Um, because I love the live-action film, and I think... Oh my gosh, I love the live-action film I think so much. we won't be able to help ourselves, like, just so you know, we're gonna talk about the live-action film. Like, we both love it. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you haven't seen the live-action film, you may want to watch that if you're worried about spoilers. If you're not worried about spoilers, then don't worry about it. But we're definitely gonna talk about the live-action. Um, and you may have been keeping up with our Twitter this week, um, in which we've been talking about lots of different Cinderella yes. adaptions. So we'll probably reference some of those different versions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to sit down and watch Cinderella. Yes, <laughs> let's go watch Cinderella. We finished Cinderella. Yay! Yes, we did. <laughs> God, I forgot what it was like to just I sit know. down and watch a narrative movie. <laughs> I had to analyze like every little, you know, like the shorts and oh, yeah. look for connective tissue and. <gasps> yeah, this was a big relief. Yeah, it was, and, and it was... especially only to watch one feature, like. Yep. 
Yep. I don't know if you've noticed this, but like I've been I've been ADHDing hard <laughs> uh, the last couple episodes, like as we've watched the movies. On that, like it's also nice that like it's a familiar movie. Yeah. So it's kind of like snuggling up in a comfy bed that you know and love. Yes. And not like testing out your new yeah. neighbor's couch like yeah do i like these people do i like this feel i don't know what kind of tea you have do you even have tea but no i know what's here i know mm -hmm. what i enjoy <laughs> this is a nice feeling <laughs> i love coming back to old childhood movies yeah um we need to we need to come up with a word for like those childhood like nostalgia moments like yeah that moment when you're like this exact frame of animation triggers something the first thing that's coming to mind is trying to come up with a baby talk way to say deja vu but that'd be cute but like, it'd be weird yeah i don't know we'll have, to, we'll have to think on it we'll have plenty of time in the upcoming films to think on this one if you have <laughs> suggestions let us know yes please let us know um so i don't think we need to start with the question of do you like this movie? Because <laughs> uh, that's a guaranteed yes. Yeah. Um, so, um, my initial thought, I think, I'm just going to open with, because the opening credits mm -hmm. um, describe the story as the sweetest story ever told. Mm -hmm. Which I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of what like I've been getting at on the Twitter mm -hmm. as we like update these social media with all of these. So that was kind of fun mm -hmm. to see this theme that I've been thinking about a lot is yeah. I think about this movie show up actually in the movie. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so in the initial introduction, I thought it was interesting. I hadn't noticed before that, um, like, you know, after Cinderella's father dies, Lady Tremaine reveals her true nature and becomes yeah. cold. And so it's like, how did she treat Cinderella beforehand? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure she was pleasant enough. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe she did something to create, like, a bond that would make it easier to abuse her later. That's possible. We don't really see Cinderella having any love for Lady Tremaine that mm -hmm. indicates that. But, like, yeah. we have a plethora of examples of women through history who get themselves married and murder their husbands or murder their husbands' children and... <laughs> You know? <laughs> no idea. No one would have known. Um, but yeah. I also think it's interesting, it was like, like real or true nature, but they also make a note that her father is kind and devoted, which is interesting because that's kind of a back and forth in Cinderella. Yeah, it totally is. Because I was thinking of like Into the Woods. Mm. Uh, Cinderella's father is like not there at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like she often has an absent father. But this one they make a point of saying, like, yeah. he's kind and devoted. Yeah. And I was thinking the live action does an interesting combination. Yeah. Where he's, like, kind and cares for her a lot, but he's not there a lot of the time. Yeah. And that's kind of where all the abuse starts. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, but Cinderella is gentle and kind. And she is gentle and kind from start to finish. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. She's a good girl. <laughs> she is. And I was noticing in her getting ready sequence... Um, there are lots of disputes that you can have over, um, the way that you, you know, the way that she's been colored over mm -hmm. the years. Um, like, you know, you can not go over the dress color all you want and we're going to do that later. <laughs> um, but I was noticing like on current stuff, her hair is like a bright yellow or mm. and sometimes I've seen it like 
render it as like a platinum blonde. Mm -hmm. But in this, it's um, it's kind of more like a dark blonde or almost an auburn. Like the lines yeah. are brown. Yeah. The li yeah, the lines of her hair are brown. So her hair is darker than we're used to it being. Yeah. Well, and um, we commented last week on like women generally being redheaded. Mm -hmm. um, that the desirable woman is generally a redhead. Yeah. Um, and so I think that they're definitely like, there's a bit of strawberry in her hair because that's kind of the ideal we're building off of. Yeah. Although Anastasia's the true redhead in this film and she's not written to be desirable. Yes. <laughs> um, but I also, oh God, I love the opening song. Dream is a wish your heart makes mm -hmm. is some of the, this film just has some of the best music. It does. Um, I love the song. And I love the idea that dreams are hope. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of theme resonant throughout the film. Like yeah. that the hope is what helps us survive in hard situations. Mm -hmm. Something I'm interested in. Like something that they, if they were making the movie now, they would mm -hmm. address. But they don't in here. They never say what her dream was. Yeah, she only says, like, oh, can't tell. It was a good dream. Um, we do kind of get the idea, like, it's probably a ball. Like, yeah, she wants to leave. Actually, I think I think we could safely say her dream is to not be with her stepmother and mm -hmm. her stepsisters, and she wants to be free of her situation. Yeah. I think that's probably yeah. a good inference. Um, the Cinderella picture book that I have is that um, it talks about her dreaming of love. It doesn't specify mm -hmm. romantic love. Just says love. I think we often, like, project on the story, like, she wanted to get married and get out, and get out by getting married, and mm -hmm. she wanted to fall in love with the prince, and she wanted to marry the prince. Yeah. And we don't ever see evidence of that in the movie. Yeah. That's the kind of thing, like, because I teach reading comprehension, and so often I have to, like, sit down with my kids and be like, you are putting your own feelings in the text, and sometimes there are times it's okay to do it. Yeah. Now's not the time to do it. And, like... There's nowhere in the film. She doesn't even know she danced with the prince. Yeah. She just really, she fell in love with a guy at a ball. Yeah. That's and it. Then, yeah. And then there are other times when they insist, like, all she wanted, you know, like, oh, all this romance stuff was foisted on her. It's like, no, she, once it happened, she wasn't opposed to it. Yeah. 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 It wasn't forced on her. She's very excited to be in love, but she never expected it. When she's upset that she can't go to the ball, she's upset that she can't get out and have a night of fun. Yeah. Um... She, like, does her little pity party at the window, like, what's a ball anyway? Like, I don't want to go. I, I want to go so bad. <laughs> yeah, and you were saying that, like, well, this is later on, but you were saying that, like, she's either a Gemini or a Leo. But would a Leo have left uh, one shoe behind? No. <laughs> so Cinderella is a Gemini, and I was saying this because... The minute she meets her fairy godmother, the first thing she wants is a new dress, which is a reasonable request, but I was like, mm, she must be a Gemini or a Leo. <laughs> I love the mice. Can we talk about the mice? Yes! I love Gus and Jack a lot. Jack, I think, was like one of my favorite Disney characters growing up, which makes sense. I like those trickster characters. Mm -hmm. Gus is my new favorite. I love Gus I Gus. I love Gus Gus. <laughs> He's so sweet. But he is also 
so down to throw hands. I know. <laughs> I love. Yeah. No, I love a character who's down to fight anytime. <laughs> anytime, like he meets Jack Jack, and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna like fist up," and then he like is like, uh, "Lucifer, I'm just gonna punch this large cat." I love him. Uh, Gus is great. So great. Do we have a Gus Gus and Mellow Sum Sum collection? Well, we'll have to get you one. Yeah. I don't I, you have a little Figaro. Oh wait, this is just the ones we've oh, recorded yeah. so far. My, I have two Gus Gusses. The medium one is in my carriage speaker. Aww, there he is. Cute. Yeah, no, um, we're gonna be posting pictures of mine. <laughs> um, hoard. A Cinderella merch. <laughs> you have quite a lot. I do. Uh, we'll probably do that with me when we get to Peter Pan, so yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and I love, I was expecting, like, when she was like, okay, now he needs a name. Well, I knew who it was Gus Gus. I'm like, oh, Gustav or mm-hmm. Augustus. Octavius. <laughs> I'm like, oh, girl. <laughs> well, and remember, too, we talked about how we did this with Snow White. The When the princesses talk to animals, it's because they have no friends. Mm-hmm. And, like, this poor thing, she just... Makes clothes for mice and yeah. makes friends with mice and her dog and her cat and her horse. Her cat is even like her and mm-hmm. she's still so good to him. Mm-hmm. Did you notice, speaking of her other animals, Bruno felt a lot like Pluto. Yeah, I can see that. Like, he's he's animated kind of the, real similarly. He's got like that hound dog face. Yeah, well he had the floppy ears and the big paws and the real skinny legs. Mm-hmm. He just seemed to look very much he's like He's kind of like, um, well he reminded me more of the, um, the basset hound and the Aristocats. Yeah, yeah, I see that for sure, for sure. Yeah. And then, uh, the horse was like, was a lot like Cyril from last week. He was, yeah. The face was very similar and even the teeth. And the way that his mouth was animated mm-hmm. was really similar. Yeah, yeah, he was a lot like Cyril. Not... So much from, like, what I remember of Fru-Fru. Yeah. I remember Fru-Fru being a little softer, a little different. I'm excited. We'll get to Aristocats mm-hmm. later. <laughs> um, but the animation of animals is very similar. Yeah. For sure. I feel like we're kind of rushing through everything, but let's talk about the dress. We're kind of at the dress. We're yeah. The dress. No, we're not. I want to talk about Lady Tremaine. Her introduction is fantastic. Um, her character design, flawless. She's one of, like, she has, if you hold her up against all the other Disney villains, she has, like, no power. But she's still one of the scariest villains. And she's so intimidating. It kind of reminds me, like, of Umbridge, right? Like, everybody who's read Harry Potter loathes Umbridge with this, like, deep-seated anger we don't really understand. Like, Voldemort's evil. But Umbridge is, like, worse. And I think it's the same thing with Lady Tremaine, where, like, Because she's so realistic. Yeah. Um, Like, you know some lady, like Lady Tremaine, and it's terrifying. Um, I love her design so much and her character. Yeah, and I noticed um, they had a couple of moments where she she would just, like, lower her eyelids Mm -hmm. and sneer a little Mm -hmm. bit. And it had a very, um, like, middle-aged Joan Crawford um, feel to it. Um, Let me see if I can quickly find a good image. (laughs) Um, Well, you're like, so, like, when you first meet Lady Tremaine, like, she's encased entirely in shadow. And it kind of made me realize we haven't had... Oh, yeah, that's it. That's the look for sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, middle-aged Joan Crawford. We haven't had, though, a proper villain introduction since the Evil Queen. Yeah. Like, every other antagonist we've had has been introduced in a different way, or they've had other... Like, 
um, Honest John and Stromboli mm -hmm. and the guy who kidnaps children. I don't even know if his has a name. The guy who runs Pleasure Island. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know if he has a name. I think he does, but yeah. I don't remember it. But either way, like, none of those villains... I, we've even met any other villains. Um, the closest I think we've come is like Mr. Winky. Yeah, but like none of them were introduced with the dramatic mm -hmm. flair that the Evil Queen was, and Lady Tremaine is definitely introduced with that dramatic Way flair. Way up there, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just it's a different. It's clear that there's a specific style of storytelling used for fairy tales. Yeah. And they like went deep back into that well, for Cinderella. And, and not only does she like, you know, not really have any power, but like it's still intimidating. She's got the Malef you know, she's got Maleficent's voice. Yes, that definitely makes a huge difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big impact. No, like very like and I don't know if it's like I mean it is great voice acting, but I wonder if it carries additional power for us because we because also know we also know that voice is Maleficent. That's probably definitely part of it. Probably definitely. Uh, <laughs> it's most likely part of it. I think it's got an influence. Mm -hmm. Um that's very, very fair. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, so now moving on to the king decides <laughs> to throw a 1700s style The Bachelor for his son. Because <laughs> um, he really wants grandkids. So pro tip to all parents out there who are just desperate for grandkids, if you throw a giant ball, you might get lucky. <laughs> Or otherwise, just, like, send your kid to BYU, I guess. <laughs> or any other conservative small college. Yeah. Um, or they'll just come out like us. <laughs> <laughs> I spent five years at BYU-Idaho. All of my friends have at least two kids. <laughs> I spent four years um, at a similar university. Mm -hmm. um, most of my friends are either married with kids, or they came out as gay yeah. and don't have kids. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> but anyway, so the king desperately wants grandkids, and so mm -hmm. he makes the son get married. You want to talk about the duke? Yeah, and he's telling this plot to the grand duke, who I noticed, like, I, I remembered, like, oftentimes in Western European kingdoms, usually the title of duke is given to, like, the king's brothers or the king's uncles or the king's nephews. Stuff like that. And the king and the duke have the same nose. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of looked at it from there as, like, the king is the much older brother of the grand duke, who is the much younger brother, and they still have, like, that antagonistic brother relationship. <laughs> I think that's very valid, because when we see the first portrait of the king and the prince, mm -hmm. the king has dark hair, yeah, um, and he has a similar mustache yeah. to the duke mm -hmm. that, like, shrinks in his old age. Um, so I think that's a very, very valid theory. Yeah. And I think to help that theory, they have the same voice. <laughs> yeah, they're voiced by the same guy. Um, Luis... Yeah, Luis Van Ruten. And another fun fact, um, he was born in Mexico City. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so... And I didn't really notice an accent. No, I didn't. Well, I mean, he, like, he's described as, like, Mexican-American. Like, he went, he went to Penn. Yeah, state, I think. I mean, like, accents can be easier for some people. Yeah. Especially if you're a voice actor, I suppose. Yeah. Um, arguably, an actor should be better at changing their accent. Um, uh, not Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> no. Nope. I'm gonna straight up say it. His American accent okay. isn't good. But also not Emma Watson. I hate her American accent I so much. I haven't heard it. 
and don't like I it. don't want to. No. Mm -mm. Like she either has an American accent, but when she does, she's so focused on the accent she forgets to act. Oh. And so when she's acting, she has her British accent. Oh, okay. And it's not great. It's not good. Yeah. Uh, nope. <laughs> okay. But, uh, anyway, speaking of accents, you also dug up another fun fact about the voice acting in this film, um, mm -hmm. about the prince. <laughs> oh, yeah, they, um, they actually cast two different guys to do the voice of the prince, and really the only, the only voice things they need him for are to sing the one song and then to say a couple of lines to Cinderella before she runs away. They had their hearts set on this one guy to be the singer, but then they asked him, oh, where are you from? And he said in, that he was in, an, in a thick Illinois accent that he was from Chicago. <laughs> and so we're like, okay, we're gonna have to find somebody else to do the speaking part. <laughs> I just like, I'm always now going to carry with me the image of Prince Charming with like, a real thick Chicago Midwestern accent. Oh, gosh. <laughs> this is such a good element of character. Yes. <laughs> so that song um, that he does sing is so this is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, I love So This Is Love. It was it's, my favorite for years. It's so good. Uh, it's so good. I have a jazz version of it on my classroom playlist. Mm. For those days when, you know, they just say, okay, just have the kids do this. I'll just turn it on the, the instrumental music. <laughs> Is it your favorite love song? I'm curious. I don't think so, but it's up there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you again later. <laughs> yeah, no, there... As we move forward. Yeah, there, 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 are some, there are some pretty great love songs in children's entertainment these days. <laughs> yep. Um... So they sing, she doesn't realize she's dancing with the prince and Which her excuse. Which is so sweet. <laughs> so sweet. Her excuse, like, oh, I have to go because uh, the prince got to meet him, you know. Sorry. <laughs> and she, he's like, wait, you don't know. The, the... She's like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so cute. Um, and so, of course, she runs off and she's in the carriage, but her carriage turns back into a pumpkin and the spell is over and... Uh, the dramatic riders are one of those images that has stayed with me for a yeah. long time. That's oh. a Mary Blair concept art piece. Yeah. Oh, we passed up one of my that moments. Oh. Um, was when Cinderella's doing her chores and feeding the chickens. Mm -hmm. Like when Gus Gus is like um, tr fighting the chickens for the corn. Like that was just suddenly like, whoa. <laughs> like the, he's hanging <laughs> on by his shirt, fat little arms, like dangling. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I do remember like, especially as a kid, I think that just... That bit of animation is memorable. Like, it's a lot of movement, and, like, you don't get that many close-ups of a chicken mm -hmm. wobbling a lot. Yeah. I know the other, like, a big moment for me as a kid was the Sing Sweet Nightingale sequence. Yeah. I think that stuck with a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. Well, and I love, my, my note says bubble harmony, and there's, like, a hard eyes emoji. Mm. <laughs> um, sorry, there, there are a couple of more things that, like, <laughs> now that I'm actually looking at my notes that we, we passed over... Like when um, she first goes into uh, Gisela's room to ask her, you know, and she asks like, oh, how would you sleep? And she says, as if you care. And I'm like, <laughs> oh man, poor girl. Like how, how sad and selfish and neglected, emotionally neglected do you have to be to assume that the nicest person in your life actually doesn't care? Yeah. Yeah, those girls, like... They didn't get off scot-free. They got off better than Cinderella, but, like... Yeah. They suffered in their own way. Yep. Yeah, I made a note, too, like, the bubbles was a moment for me as a kid. 
that like defined femininity, which like I think I've kind of touched on a couple of these points. So, like, there's certainly the moments of nostalgia, right, where you're like, oh, yeah. I remember this exact image from a kid. But I also have been noticing, like, I have a lot of moments like, oh, this defined womanhood for me. Okay. Um, and so, like, I kind of touched on this, like, the fish in Fantasia is one of those ones that stuck out. And this bubble sequence is another one where I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, like, this kind of formed what I thought I should be as a mm-hmm. person. Which I thought was really interesting. Um, and I think it just makes me love Cinderella more now yeah. that I'm, like, older and can, like differentiate things yeah um and articulate things but god the but and like just the idea that you could harmonize with yourself yeah <laughs> like cinderella is now on par with uh willie the whale <laughs> yeah well and like the other great thing about this so this is love um sequence it's basically you're they were going on a first date in a mary blair painting which oh god. is like oh uh. like that's the pop-up museum i want <laughs> We'll make it happen. <laughs> Call um, the Disney people. See, I would want an Edwin Earl pop-up museum. That one would be which good. there was a museum for his art in Pasadena, like, a couple years ago, and I didn't get to go. And oh. I am still sad about it. But that would be a great first date for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she runs away at the ball, and the pumpkin is trampled, mm-hmm. and... She has one slipper left, her only memory of the night. And she's grateful for it. She's such a good girl. <laughs> she's not sad that it's over. She's happy it happens. <laughs> I can't relate. No, me neither. <laughs> Cinderella is like all of those trite little phrases that you wish you like understood. You're like, well, that's a stupid thought. Because it's not realistic. She is the realistic mm-hmm. version of that. Like, all of those niceties wrapped up in one. Yeah. Coming up on it, one of the things I noticed, too, like, we get so many shots of the sister's big feet yeah. throughout the film. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was really fun. Yeah, and we got a couple of Cinderella's little feet Yeah. without toes. She doesn't have toes <laughs> in most of them. Sorry, foot fetishists. <laughs> <laughs> There's, like, so one thing I had a theory, I'm like, maybe she just always wears nice. <laughs> um, but the other thing is, like, because we were talking about her ears, mm-hmm. and, like, a lot of people talk about how Cinderella's dress, her, like, pretty, pretty, pretty dress, her mm-hmm. ball gown, that's mm-hmm. the correct her term. Her silver ball gown. Her silver ball gown made of starlight from her fairy godmother. Uh, she doesn't have ears in that character design, because, like, I guess her hair is covering it, but they're kind of where her headband should be, and she just doesn't really have them, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were looking at her when she's not in costume, and her ears are very, very hidden, and you kind of just see the outline of them, and her mm-hmm. nose is all soft and you undefined. See, you, yeah, she only has nostrils unless she's in profile. Right. And so Snow White actually was similar on the nose, I remember. <laughs> when I was drawing her for the art, I was like, where is her nose? Um, but so that lack of lines obviously is present mm-hmm. in drawing her feet as well. And like that contributes to them feeling yeah. small, certainly, and dainty. Um, but she's just not drawn with lines at all. Um, and that's kind of like where that grace, I guess, comes from. Yeah. Um, and that keeps her... Because remember, we're, we're, not, we're not quite into the concept of stylized characters in terms of a feature dramatic film, right? So like we've seen... Yeah stylized characters in shorts and they're usually 
for comedic value. Yeah. Um, and like, like the king is hyper stylized, but he's there for comedic effect. We're not meant to sympathize with him. Yeah, like really. they're very, they're still very cautious about doing that with the protagonist. Yeah, like the prince and Cinderella are very very faintly drawn. Um, their features are done, if at all, with shadow and not mm -hmm. with lines. Mm -hmm. um, which just makes me so excited for next month when we get to do Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> um, but I'm sure we'll talk more about this next week. But Peter Pan, I think, is different partially because they're children. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot more sharp lines there, mm -hmm. which would be interesting to look at. Uh, so her dress is silver. <laughs> just repeating that. It's silver. <laughs> dress is silver. Uh, this was before we had to worry about character color palettes and marketing. <laughs> Their dress is silver. Um, which, like, so we mentioned last week, we're deviating from that red, white, or red, yellow, blue protagonist color palette. Yeah. And this is very much a deviation from it that I feel like modern marketing has dragged back into it. Like, the prince is reds and yellows and she's silver, or she's blues, mm -hmm. whereas in actuality, he's more reds and whites and she's silver. Mm -hmm. Which I think is just interesting that we're moving away from that bold color palette and into a more romantic color palette. Yeah. I'm curious. I'm excited to see how that keeps changing over time. And I wonder when, to look into like when marketing the princess became important to how her character was designed and colorized and like I mean, when. My, my guess would be 89. That would be my guess too. I'd be curious. I, I highly doubt Elanwe was created with that specific merchandising <laughs> idea in mind. Yeah, because I haven't even seen that one. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. So yeah, I think, I think too, talking about how the Silver Age is clearly different from the World War II Age. Yeah. But I think it's still pretty clearly different from the Golden Age. Yeah, it this, is. This film did not feel like Snow White at all. Um, no. I think the part of it was the backgrounds, like, mm. the backgrounds, like, you get, you go from, like, real, like, studied, trying to be as realistic as possible mm -hmm. to, you can do the backgrounds in Mary Blair stylized mm -hmm. uh, patterns mm -hmm. and things like that. Yeah, we, we don't have the intense pans over oil paintings yeah. of a set. Um, we don't have extended gags in the same way we did mm -hmm. in the early films, where it's just like, we're going to spend ten minutes on this little goofy segment, like Pink Elephants. Mm -hmm. um, like, the most surreal we get is seeing Sweet Nightingale. Yeah. And it's very, very brief. Um, and the comedic moments are the King and the Duke, yeah. which still serve to enhance the well, story. Well, and, and the Mice and Lucifer. And the Mice and Lucifer, which also, I was like, so as we started watching, I'm like, okay, Cinderella's a short tale that Walt has already done as a short film. So Walt did a very, very short film in 1922, black and white, pre-synchronized sound. It's very difficult to watch. Mm -hmm. um, but you took a fairy tale that's very short, and you made a short movie. I was trying to think, like, okay, so is this longer film, will it feel more piecemeal? Like, here's the dramatic story, yeah. here's the comedic thing with the mice or the king to, like, stretch it out. But it didn't feel that way. The mice no. still seem to interact. I think probably Lucifer chasing Gus yeah. is the most, like, out of place. Well, and even then, they still f there are still ways that they connect it back, because they're basically still following Cinderella around, and then at the end when they're trying to get the key to Cinderella so she can run down the stairs. Right, and that's exactly what, like, I think I talked about this, um 
way back in the first episode, the three-timed punch in a story, yeah. where you technically introduce something mm-hmm. twice before it's the third hit, and so we have Lucifer with the cup three mm-hmm. times by the end mm-hmm. of the story. He first does it where he's chasing Gus around in that sequence that's, like, mm-hmm. arguably not relevant to the plot, yeah. but then it comes back again when he drops the cup on him as he turns into a horse, yeah. and then the third punch is at the top of the stairs when he keeps loose, mm-hmm. or keeps Gus Mm-hmm. From getting the key to Cinderella. Yeah. So even the things that weren't part of the narrative brought their way back in. Yeah. And they tied up neatly. So just the storytelling is clearly more meaningful. Yeah. No, better woven. Thought out. Better yeah. thought out in this yeah. time. Or this version, I guess. <laughs> and I actually, I have a note calling him Sushifer. <laughs> but he has a very similar body shape to Sushi. Certainly, not, you don't well, see markings. He's not. He's not quite. Yeah, uh, he's a lot fluffier than Sushi. Mm. But yeah, she's, she's a short hair. But she's a big girl. She's a big girl. And <laughs> my brother thinks she's really mean and terrible, but she's not. <laughs> he's just. He's just a teenager. <laughs> cats aren't mean. People are just mean about cats. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think this is much better threaded. Yeah, threaded is a good word for that. Also, so we talked about this with Pinocchio, about how Pinocchio, or uh, Jiminy Cricket, just kind of like, you know, fairy tales aren't mm-hmm. real. We get that again in this film. Oh, yeah. The Duke is like, oh, I bet you thought it would happen like a fairy tale, but you're wrong because this is real life and fairy tales don't happen. You bet you thought that this is exactly how it was going to happen as it was playing as out. As it's happening right well, below them. Well, because I guess... I mean, because the post-World War II disillusionment wasn't as heavy as per- post-World War One disillusionment, but it was still there. Yeah, and I think, like, just, like, this reminder of, like, we talk about Disney films, like, oh, we're going to subvert the fairy tale, or we're going to make this Disney fairy tale darker, but, like... Disney's already out there subverting cynicism. It's not like this fairy tale is just like, oh, here's a lovely fairy tale that we're gonna tell and everyone will be happy. No, we are intentionally subverting cynic outlooks on things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's like something that people forget is intentional in all the Disney films. Yeah. Um, in the classic fairy tales. Yeah. yeah. And then there's a happy ending and... She loses her shoe again on their way out the church from the wedding, and the king helps her out. Yeah. And she's got a very sensible bonnet-style veil. I love that style veil. It's pretty great. And it's not its not quite the flapper one. You can still see some of her hair, but it's enough to, like, keep the thing in place. Yeah. I don't know if I would do it, though. I don't think it would look cute on me. I don't know why. Like, I like it on her in the animation, and I like it when I see, like, yeah. stars of the era. Well, but you've got the short hair, though. That's true. So, like, you wouldn't have to start, you wouldn't have to, like, do finger waves, but, like, you've basically got the bob. It would just be a matter of finding the right right one. That's fair. Um, I I think part of what it is is because my hair waves oddly. Oh, yeah. Um, You can see it. This is why I keep it short, because as it's growing out. Everyone on the podcast, this is great audio. Yeah. Um, You can see my wavy hair. Mm -hmm. Um... Once it hits about here, it mm-hmm. just kind of like, boop. Well, see, and my concern gross. is that I don't want to cover up all my hair because I've got a five head, and if I don't have bangs at that particular moment, I will not be able to pull it off. Well, then get bangs for your wedding. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, no, for my completely upcoming nuptials to a totally real person. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, uh, speaking of dream weddings, I've always, 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 and by always I mean ever since I saw Cinderella as a little girl, so as long as I can remember, <laughs> have wanted birds to carry my veil. That's like a thing I want so badly. I spent a good deal of time in college designing a wedding gown to look like birds were carrying the veil and train mm -hmm. with wire work. Yeah, it's, that would be the way to do it, but I don't know if that would work. You could probably make it happen. Um, or you could, literally, you could run tracks through whatever building you're getting married in mm -hmm. um, and have the birds hanging on a wire. Uh, yeah. I This is very important to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I love her wedding dress. It's It might be my favorite Disney wedding dress. Of all of the princesses, it might be. Yeah. Rapunzel's is pretty nice, but I think I like Cinderella's best. We'll have to Me wait too. and see. Yeah. Um, we don't have a whole lot of wedding dresses to pick from. No. I mean, and Cinderella's does not look like um, our mother's wedding dresses. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yup. That definitely helps. From the um, late 80s, early 90s. It also helps it's more fitted, which is more yeah. in right now. Yeah. Um... It's, yeah, it's definitely more fitted. It's and it's not... got the long sleeves, which I yeah. I want. <laughs> mm, I'm a big fan of three quarters, mm -hmm. which is what Rapunzel has. I'm trying so. to think. Well, for me, they're like religious stuff, too. I could probably mm. get away with three quarters. Mm. Um, I mean, I basically already have my wedding dress, <laughs> so. <laughs> I always wanted to wear my mother's wedding dress, but my mother had like a 14-inch waist when she got married or something ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. She's a little Scarlett O'Hara when she was young. Uh, she's still very fit. Um, but she my is. waist is not her waist, yeah. even though my hips are it's her sweet. hips. <laughs> well, and see, my mom, she still has her dress, and it's not, I mean, I, I weigh more, I weigh a lot more now than she did then, um, because I'm quite a bit older now than she was, <laughs> but, uh, it was 1990. It's not something, it's not my style. <laughs> yeah, I guess my parents were married in 89, so, yep, it's got the sleeves. It's got the sleeves. The sleeves. Okay, I have one more note that we haven't touched on yet. Yes. I'm checking my notes and we've talked about yeah. everything I've written down. Oh, no, I made a note that um, this is an interesting one. This is more interesting than funny. Um, when we meet Lucifer, the first thing we really learn about Lucifer is that his bed is nicer than Cinderella's. He gets to sleep in later than Cinderella does. He sleeps in the same room as Lady Tremaine. Like, mm -hmm. this cat is treated better than Cinderella. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting touch for introducing who Cinderella is and her situation. Yeah. Um, I forgot about that. But, like, we meet him before we meet Lady Tremaine, which is also interesting. Yeah. Because he's as much a villain as she is. Because the mice are the B-plot, and he's yeah. the villain of their B-plot. So, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and it's not like my cat has her own bed or anything. <laughs> she has her own bed. It's on, my, it's on the foot of my bed. <laughs> I feed my cat every morning and every night with her own specialized meal plan. So... <laughs> she's dying. She's very old, and I'm taking care of her in her old age. <laughs> Um, she's like, we did the math today, she's like almost 15. Wow. So she's a very old lady, and she is all skin and bones, so I'm trying to she's beef her up. She's so skinny. Um, but the last note I have, uh, making a new dress impulsively the night before oh, a party. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've done that more than once. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so maybe Cinderella is my most relatable princess after all. <laughs> yeah, like Cinderella is still my favorite, but uh, Snow White is still my most relatable. <laughs> mm. And you don't, I'm curious, you don't expect that to change as we go forward? I don't know. It's been a while since I've watched a lot of the other princess movies. Okay. Because I know Belle was always the one as a kid. Like, oh, yeah. she reads books, I read books. That's yeah, great. That, that's the same thing for me as a as a kid and yeah um and then i've grown up with my mom's prejudice against ariel mm, i feel like a lot of suburban mothers did not like ariel um but i will say she is less of a brat than Belle is if we look at things um so that'll be we'll, something we can talk we'll, about we'll later get, we'll get there um, in you know in due time in due time yeah but um I really like Cinderella a lot. She's great. Yeah. And I love this movie. I'm really happy we got to watch it. Me too. It's it's pretty and it's aspirational. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just, it's, it's cozy. It is. I, I will say, we didn't talk about the live action film as much as I thought we would. No. Um, they're very different. They are. But I have a feeling that even though we're an animation podcast, we're going to probably spend a whole episode on it eventually. We're going to have to do the live action adaptions of these movies at some point. Oh, you mean I get to watch the live action Beauty and the Beast? Yes, you do. Oh, you God. have to. You absolutely have to. Okay. I'll make you watch it for Halloween or something if that makes you feel better. No, it's, it's like okay. a horror film. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, you have to watch okay. Beauty and the Beast. Because then we can talk about it versus Cinderella, and we can talk about Maleficent, and we have to talk about these things. We have this podcast, so I can talk about Disney things. Yes, it's true. <laughs> yeah, I think that if you haven't watched Cinderella in a long time, and you just kind of like, we're like listening to this podcast to see like what we think of the movie, it's a really good rewatch. Um, it also feels nice to like not have explicit racism. In a film. Oh my gosh. Which yeah. it feels like it's been so long it since is... we had. Mm -hmm. um, we get a one week reprieve. That is a nice thing about the <laughs> princess movies. It's unfortunate that the princess movies are all white. However, them being all white has small benefits. Tiny, tiny benefits yes. in that uh, there's no racism within their context. When you put them into context, mm -hmm. yes. And we will certainly yeah. keep having that conversation, especially as, like, we talked about stacking things. Mm -hmm. This is our second princess, so it's not technically a pattern yeah. if it's two. Uh, it felt nice to just enjoy a movie. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you should probably rewatch it. It's a good one. Yeah, and I feel like we're going to be able to do that again to a certain extent next week. No, we're not. <laughs> oh yeah, no, oh yeah, we're gonna have to have that conversation, but it is a movie that we're, that we, but it is, you know, one narrative that we might be able to enjoy, that's what I meant, I forgot about, oh my gosh, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a lot to talk about, yeah, we're gonna have a lot to talk, we're watching Peter Pan next week, next week, we Technically, chronologically, Alice in Wonderland is next, mm -hmm. but we wanted to do that for our Halloween episode. Yeah. So we're gonna, you know, fudge our own rules a little bit. We're, we we have the right to do that. We're the we're the executive <laughs> producers. We are. Uh, so we did flip Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland. So even if you're following along chronologically, um, and you don't care about theming, theming things on holidays, 
then skip next week and just come back for Alice in Wonderland and backtrack to Peter Pan. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're content to have Alice in Wonderland be a great Halloween movie, then join us for Peter Pan next week. Yeah. Um, and then for our short, we're going to be watching a short little film called Lambert the Sheepish Lion. Mm -hmm. um, so we're sticking in the 50s for a while and going to see what that's like. Because I've never been to the 50s. <laughs> Except through movies. Yep. Yeah, I'm really excited. Peter Pan's an old favorite, despite its flaws as yeah. glaring as they are. Yeah. Um, well, and I'll I'll probably put this this disclaimer in when we when we record that episode, but I'll, I'll tell you guys right now, like I'm not a big fan of the Peter Pan mythology generally. I know, I know. Oh, how are we friends? We're gonna have some talks. I know. I'm gonna have to reread the book before next week, so I am armed with conversation. <laughs> I know I've read it before, but it's just like it's very short. It's like a hundred pages. Yeah. But it's it's just never been something that super appealed to me, and a lot of the movies at movie adaptations is like have struck me as kind of weird. You don't like preteen Jeremy Sumter running around in a leaf romper? I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, uh, so next week we're gonna watch Lambert the Sheepish Lion for our short, and Peter Pan for our film. Um, in the meantime, you can find us at Drawn Out Cast on Instagram. Um, we'll probably be posting a lot of stuff getting us ready for Peter Pan, like Jeremy Sumter's Peter Pan film. Um, and other adaptions of Peter Pan, similar to what we did for Cinderella. Mm -hmm. You can tell we're much more into the Silver Age than World War II, and we're excited to go on this journey with you. Yeah. Um, you can find me at Chaser Tiff. You can find me at Brooka Mimi. And this has been an extremely drawn-out closing. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week. This podcast is in no way affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiaries. The views expressed in this podcast by its hosts and its guests belong solely to those people and are not in any way representative of Disney nor any of our employers. Thanks for listening.